Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Edge. Um, we're really happy to have Carlos Guerrero on the show with us today. Um, it's been a little while since we've recorded, so it's great to be back again. Um, John's flown solo for a little bit recently, and I've flown solo for a little bit because we've been really, really busy. But together, we're uh, we're back again together, and maybe I'll give John an opportunity to say something today um, before he says anything. Um, but Carlos, if you just want to start off like most people do and kind of give us a little bit of background about yourself, how you got started, how you got into the industry and what you're doing today. And then we'll kind of go off on a few different tangents. Sure. Thanks, Jay. And, and Jay and John, thanks for having me. Super exciting uh, to to be here. So how, how did I get here? So um, I, I kind of come into this uh, from a little bit of a different angle. Actually, for my education, I ended up going to art school. So I got a couple of, uh, of art degrees. I got my bachelor's of fine arts and then uh, my, my master's of fine arts degree. And, and after uh, the, uh, the MFA experience, uh, one of the things that I ended up doing after trying to um, you know, become a professor and, and, a, and a showing artist is ended up working at a nonprofit art center. And at that nonprofit art center, I started helping them raise money. I started helping them to uh, like secure corporate donations and, and those sort of things. And uh, through doing that, I ended up in boardrooms. It was really fascinating. It was there in Lincoln, Lincoln, Nebraska. It's so not a huge market, but it just became apparent that, uh, this could become something else. And so I started uh, a business with some guys uh, that ended up uh, not um, not working out. And then I, I joined an MSP uh, there in Lincoln, Nebraska, moved to Florida, helped them build out their market down here. And then just through networking and, and that sort of thing, uh, I ended up uh, working at 360 Advance, where I am now. We're an audit and compliance firm, about 100 people, you know, located here here in Tampa. But the thing that's kind of resonated with me, and then has sort of gone, um, you know, come come with me through the art days and, and into what I'm doing now, is I just really enjoy building things and being a part of building things. And I ended up being in, you know, business development, and, and that's certainly a pretty creative creative venture. But what's been interesting to me, and I, I'd love to get your guys' feedback on this. It's really cool how, you know, to be in the cyber uh, security compliance, all this space right now when everything's kind of evolving and changing. It sort of it sort of feels like there's a lot of creative people. There's a lot of tinkerers and builders that are all trying to to sort this self out this stuff out. And that's, you know, kind of been where I've kind of seen things tie together. I, I think that's an interesting point. So I want to get onto a little bit about what compliance is and what it means for our listeners in in a bit. Sure. For me, for many years, my mum would ask me what I did for a job. And I say, I work in IT. And she's like, what does that mean? And it really meant early days that I looked after the odd desktop machine because that's what it was back then. Then IT evolved into this world where it, it included many, many different areas of focus. And you, if somebody asked you in school, what do you want to do? And you said IT. You would say, do you mean storage, virtualization, networking, et cetera? Cyber is very similar to that, right? And we're going to talk a bit about compliance, but you have red team, blue team, you have penetration testing, you have all these different areas of cyber. And I think it. one of the things I talk about a lot on this podcast and when we talk to events and when we, when we were recently at Black Cat, cyber is a very friendly area, or at least for me. So I want to talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but John, do you want to chip in a little bit before we talk about compliance? Yeah, I, I think it's curious. Um, you know, you you come from an art art background, and I think that's interesting because um, 
it's a different way of thinking. Uh, a lot of people that come up in the the cyber industry, the IT industry, either come from an engineering background, uh, a computer science background, uh, business. Um, but I'm curious, how has the the uh, the art uh, background uh, helped you in uh, what you do today? Well, I mean, I think you know, strictly from kind of a business development perspective. I mean, it's a you know, in my, in my job, I mean, no one, I'm, I own my own schedule, right? I mean, there's not like someone is, it's not super prescriptive. So it's a bit like that blank canvas and I have to go sort of build my business, uh, you know, within the business, but has it, as it's been helpful in, you know, talking and, and working with, um, you know, cyber leaders, I feel like they're doing a lot of the same thing. You know, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference. I mean, they're trying to basically, you know, sort out a bunch of stuff. You know, it's like the idea these days that you're, you know, security is even kind of a weird term, right? Because it, like, like we're protecting you from something. Well, yes, you sort of are, but because of the way that the enterprise has grown and sprawled and, and, and we're trying to just sort of sort things out with where data is and and how to, you know, just basically manage the business. I mean, there's no there's no blueprint for that either. And, and so it's it's kind of interesting. You find a lot of these same type of people trying to sort things out. And it's been I can I can kind of relate. And I think it it, it allows to have these, you know, somewhat high level conversations just about, you know, the nature of the business. And um, I, I found that to be helpful. Yeah, I think the the creative aspect is is what I see come through. Um with a lot of the people in security, Jay mentioned it's a very friendly uh, industry and uh, a lot of people are attracted to it. And a lot of people are not coming from that traditional, um, you know, business area or IT area. Uh, they're coming from the outside and, and bringing new perspectives. Uh, we see it every day on LinkedIn. We see it uh, with people, you know, wanting to, to, to lean into this area. They could be military. They could be uh, somebody working, um, you know, nine to five job uh, in a restaurant, saying, "Hey, I or a mom." Um, but all these perspectives uh, um, are what we need because um, we can't keep doing the same thing uh, that we've been doing in the past. And security is really pervasive throughout the business, so you need people with some some new, fresh ideas. Of you know how to apply uh, you know security within you know logistics or uh, you know it could be on a website so on and so forth. Um, so it, it's exciting to 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 see this uh, these people with again a different perspective. No, I think so too, John. So so let's pivot a little bit into into compliance. So sure, it's a big topic, and I'm sure we could speak for more than a single podcast on compliance, but. Give us a, a brief kind of breakdown of what is compliance for our listeners. What what is it? What does it mean? What does it encompass? And then we'll dig a little bit more deeper into it. Well, I think historically, you know, um, over the last you know several years, we've relied we've relied on you know, third party risk management. You know, we've relied on the marketplace to drive drive compliance. And so, what you see a lot of times is you know a business that is you know, uh, typically maybe a software business is going to try to do business with a larger, larger entity and through their, you know, third-party risk management program, they say, well, in order to do that, you need to fill out the security questionnaire or, and, or you need your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 or, and, and so on. And so, um, so compliance kind of has become that sort of a business 
business enabler. But I think what you're you're seeing and what you're going to continue to see more and more is because in the boardroom, businesses or, or leaders are just as interested in, you know, truly managing risk, sure, but also limiting liability. I think, you know, the check the box exercise of, okay, you know, there's a piece of paper is, is become, become less and less valuable, but aligning with a framework and building your business around that framework and where compliance just becomes an activity out of that, then all of a sudden, you know, starts to have some teeth. And, and I think that's probably what you're going to see more and more. And, you know, whether people like it or not, I mean, there's going to be more, you know, regulation. And I, I'm really bullish on paying attention to CMMC in the States, because I think that that's really gaining some traction if you're paying attention behind the scenes. And I think that there's going to be a, a ripple effect uh, to that in terms of managing, managing, you know, risk and supply chain and all those things. So I think it's a, it's an interesting time for compliance. I don't think that compliance is going to continue to sit in the seat of, you know, we're just a pain in the ass type of thing, right? I think it's going to be come just to have a little bit more teeth for, for um, practical reasons, I think. Yeah, I mean, I see compliance. I mean, obviously, me and me and John, our history is being customer side is is having sure. to deal with those kind of meeting those certifications, being compliant, being audited. Of course. And and you raised the little point about the checkbox kind of situation, and and it was really difficult for me at times to get budget to do things I wanted to do, right? Because if I could just check the box. The business would be like, but you've just checked the box. Why do you need to invest more? Like if you're saying you're doing all these things. And for me, just checking the box wasn't enough. I wanted to, I actually wanted to be secure. And that may sound a little bit odd because for me, a lot of these checkbox exercises aren't that. They would send in a bunch of auditors that necessarily, it wouldn't necessarily understand what we were doing. And they'd be like, do you have a virus check? And I'd be like, yes tick and i'm like well aren't you going to check whether i've actually deployed it and is it on 100 percent right. of my machines and where are the teeth um i guess i i have a question before i i pass over to john is, is there's a lot of ransomware attacks and a lot of people are still getting compromised and people are paying ransoms and it's making the news and all this stuff's going on but there doesn't seem to be any form of punishment for <laughs> saying you're compliant and then being found out that you're not um do you think that's going to change do you think i've i've read some things recently that that could potentially be changing my concern is to shift it from being a box to can exercise to actually making businesses secure there's going to need to be some form of penalty if you're found out for for not being secure and you said you are what what do you think about that, I, I, Jay? I, I actually think that's coming. Um, I'm sorry to to, no, to okay. uh, no, break in here, but I'm going to throw you some softballs here. Um, we're starting to see that. I mean, if you look at what uh, Newark DFS, uh, the yep. intent there, and and the reason why uh, their second a rewriter, what they call Second Amendment, uh, to their uh, 500 standard was ransomware. It it started from a ransomware event. And they're like, oh, shoot, we need to do something about this. And if you read the regulations, uh, what they're putting in place, it talks about um, 
you know, risk-based authentication, uh, having an inventory uh, that we also need to cover off uh, not just our badged employees, but if we have affiliates. Uh, so we see that. Um, also, some of the stuff going on with California uh, as well. SEC, you know, uh, SEC just announced that, you know, hey, they're getting serious about security and that if you have an event, you've got to um, you got to report it within four days. What does that mean? We're still learning. Uh, but yeah, that I'd, I'd love to hear your comments on that. No, that, that I think that's a great um, pivot. And yeah, the the SEC ruling thing with the you know material like a you know material breach and some of these things that folks are, are trying to sort out. So yes, everything is still a little bit fuzzy, like like you mentioned, John. But what you made a point with the uh, the New York uh, uh, the is it DFS? Is that right? That's right. Yeah, the the that you know. You're mentioning states. We're mentioning things like CMMC. We're starting to mention, you know, governments, and I, I people hate that. People hate regulation for a good reason. But the the marketplace hasn't been able necessarily to sort it out through the SOC twos and ISO twenty seven thousand ones and kind of doing it that way. So yeah, there's going to be some sticks out there with CMMC, for instance. Like those businesses have already attested that they're aligning with you know NIST eight hundred one seventy one, and they've been lying. And so CMMC is a way to go and validate that. And, and there's, you know, in the, in the government space, there's a false claims, uh, you know, the uh, act. So like if people are lying, then they can be fined. And that's starting to happen. Very similar to how HIPAA back in the day was nothing. And now it's something. I mean, so those things are really starting to come into focus. And I think um, that's, that's what you're going to see more of. Do you think that there's too much compliance? And the reason I ask that is because... I mean, I, I, I'm active on social media. I go to a lot of events. I talk to people and, and you've got, they're different all over the globe. And, and, and it's like certain verticals need to meet certain compliances and pass certain things. And, and for, for people working in cyber and certainly people in, in roles like yours that have to keep up with it, does it make it even more challenging or too challenging to have to constantly keep up with this ever-changing scenario i mean i did some work on cmmc when i, when I was on the customer side and then mm -hmm. for whatever reason cmmc kind of felt like it was stalling and they mm -hmm. were waiting and maybe they i think they were waiting for zero trust which we'll get onto in a bit but it was like it's really really hard to to be compliant if if it's changing so regularly because Businesses have to work against budgets and projects and deployments, and they have to get resources and all of those things. And if you're going to invest in what could be a six-month, 12-month, 18-month project, and by the time you get to the end goal, the compliance that you're trying to meet has changed. Of course. That makes it really difficult, right? It does make it really difficult. And, I mean, so what the marketplace is is, is, is um, provided us is – or all these various certifications or attestations or whatever they're you know called um, you know for specific industries or specific regions, and so you would imagine that it would certainly be a lot easier if things were streamlined, right? And there was you know a framework or a, a you know a certification or something to kind of bring all that together. Because some of the clients we work with, you can imagine. We, we do their SOC 2, we do their ISO 27001, we do their PCI, we do their high trust. I mean, all the data centers do all of them, right? And, and, and for the most part, there's a lot of cross mapping and they're all doing a lot of the same stuff. And so I, I think you're, you know, to your point, Jay, that that, you know, probably, hopefully 
will be sorted out to, to some degree. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe the, you know, the government stuff might be the way that has to work. I, I, I don't know for sure, but it's something that I, I certainly think about. I, I think the problem that I had, I mean, I work for a, a, a large global manufacturer and, and we used to have to do all the US regulation, all the English regulation, and then the rest of the European regulation. And then we had sites in China and Japan and we had to deal with all of those. And quite a lot of them do overlap and there are similarities. And we used to have yeah. a matrix which said, if you could tick these six boxes, you covered these things as well. Yeah. But I mean, we needed a team of people it's to keep on top of it. And when it comes to security, you really don't want to, especially if you're going to start getting fined and there's going to be large numbers involved or even kind of going to prison, et cetera, et cetera, how, wherever it's going to go. I, I'm frightened that people are going to just avoid being in those roles because yeah. if you're going to tie people down to committing and being accountable for something, but it's really too hard to be accountable, I can just see people going, I don't want to do it. We I need to kind of simplify. That already, yeah, I guess we are. Um, you are. And, and so, I mean, that's that's a whole other topic. And that's what I mentioned to you guys in the green room a little bit about, like, where does security sit within the organization, right? I think the, the position of the CISO is a really interesting one. And I've, you know, and I've seen people write on it and talk about it, but it's, um, you know, I've even seen people like post or write things about has this position failed, right? Like where does, you know, where does, you know, is security eventually going to sit within the organization and those, and those type of things. So I think folks are, are really trying to, to sort that out. I mean, I've gone on a tangent a, a little bit, but the, um, but the compliance thing can be a problem, but I guess the other question is like, can you, I mean, if it's completely unregulated, if no one's watching, if you have no way to show assurance, then what, you know, you, you basically are depending on what? Yeah, and I know that getting cyber insurance now is difficult unless you can prove you're compliant. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, it, for, for me, cybersecurity is a responsibility for the whole business. Yes, your yeah. CISO should possibly be driving strategy depending on where they sit in the organ. We could get onto that as well. But it's a, it's a cultural shift. It's it's yes. Unless the whole business believe there's a reason to be secure and what the risks of not being secure are, then really putting the CISO out there on the front lines and saying, if you don't do this and we get compromised, you get fined or you go to prison and it risks your career. That's not really fair unless they are supported. Right. John, John, what do you think? I, I think it's a maturity thing. I mean, if you, you go back and you look at regulations around finance, um, the rise of the CFO, uh, the regulations we have in terms of reporting for a public company, uh, the way accounting is done, um, you know, the, those those were outgrowths of a, of a you know, manufacturing based economy. Uh, what we're seeing now is the rise of a digital uh, network-based economy, and I suspect what we'll see is a similar um, evolution of this role, uh, and it's early days. Uh, you know, again, we talked about this briefly before uh, we started recording, and um, we're seeing this evolution. Uh, it's still very young, and IT in the past was really 
you know, a business function that uh, lived within the four walls of the business. It, it didn't have the distributed nature that we're seeing today. The internet was not pervasive. Um, it was basically, you know, how do we account for things using these massive IBM computers and then evolved, you know, to include more and more of the business. Uh, but now that, um, you know, we've, we've uh, essentially the business has to have IT to run it. Um, and we now have apps and, you know, employees that are now uh, distributed. Um, it has to change. Security has to be a real thing uh, if we're going to be able to take advantage of, you know, cloud and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and as a result, the role of security is um, going to evolve. And I think it's going to kind of take a similar path that what we did with accounting. Um, but it's still early. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're seeing that with, with government regulations. I think when we talk about IT regulations in general, we had the ability, I think, and we've talked about this before, John, on podcasts and in, in person. We had the ability when we started our careers of being able to make mistakes. And if we made a mistake, it might be that one computer or those five computers. Or if it was the ERP system, it might be 10 people. We could make those mistakes and learn as we went forward. And any regulation, if we didn't quite meet it, it didn't really have a huge effect. I think the problem we've got now is we're being attacked from every possible angle all of the time. The world's changed. We've data and applications have moved out of that kind of protected perimeter. They're now out in the cloud. They're on people's devices. Devices are corporate owned or private or third parties. They're you have telephones and computers and all kinds of other devices you use to not only do private stuff, but but stuff for corporations. And if you're a contractor, you might use your own machine. It, it never used to be like that. The world's completely different now than it was five or 10 years ago. And, and a open door for an attacker gives them access to almost everything. Whereas back in the day, you had a limited attack surface. But now we have global LANs or global WANs, MPLS, SD-WAN, everything's connected. If they manage to get through into one particular area, they could potentially create havoc and do create havoc in organizations. And I quite often have conversations with people and they say, we've never been compromised. And I always say, you never knew you were compromised or you don't know whether you've been compromised. You can't sit there hand on heart and say, I've never been compromised. No way. Right. So that yeah. does bring me quite smoothly, I think, onto zero trust. Right. Sure. It's having a knock on effect with compliance. It's coming into regulations. The government in the US are talking about it. It's now in, in some regulations that are coming across the ocean to, to Europe. And it's obviously making its way across the globe. What do you think the effect is going to be firstly on security and secondly on compliance? Well, I think, you know, as, as you know, I'm certainly no zero trust expert, but as, as I understand and what I pay, what I've paid attention to is that, you know, it's, it's, you know, the idea or the concept is, is more of a kind of a philosophy or a framework within itself, right? It's sort of a way of thinking as opposed to some sort of, you know, technological solution. Although we've seen, you know, those, you know, we do zero trust or something like that in, in, uh, in, in the solution. So, you know, I, I think the mindset of, well, let's, let's just look at the, the, 
the, the landscape, the picture that you just painted. And you're exactly right. And the larger the organizations, the more legacy organizations, they're all having the same problem, right? They're having, they're, everyone is everywhere trying to connect to their network. The attack surface is so varied and there's no visibility in, into a lot of it. So, you know, the, the, the idea that, you know, you put some sort of initiative in place to have some visibility and reduce complexity and make sure you got an idea where everything is and who's logging into what. I mean, that, that seems to be, you know, in some ways, a pretty simple notion that would hopefully, you know, strengthen, you know, your, your, um, your, your posture. And then, you know, maybe you have to force some folks to, to go down this route. And that's where probably the, you know, compliance or the rela- regulation, you know, stuff comes into. But that's just my kind of, you know, layman sort of take on, on the whole thing. John, what do you think on the whole kind of compliance zero trust topic? Um, I, I, you know, I think my thoughts here are pretty <laughs> well known. Um, zero trust is coming. It's the framework that we need to move to. Um, but again, it's it's uh, we're early days into this journey. And um, it, it because of the nature of IT and, and you mentioned it, you know, uh, earlier, Jay, that, um, you know, IT has evolved. And uh, in the past, we could make those mistakes because maybe it only impacted finance. Uh, today, it's everywhere. Uh, IT is pervasive throughout the organization. And um, for it to be successful and for us to take advantage of the tools that are available to us, uh, we need a mechanism to secure it. And um, one that doesn't continue to uh, uh, move at this pace of expensive depth. Um where we're, you know, just trying to find silver bullet solutions right and left and and, and putting them together in almost a, a chaotic way. Um, we need to step back and, and and have a strategy of how to secure the business. Um, and that's what you're seeing as well coming from the government, the, yes. the Biden uh, executive order, uh, some of the regulations that are starting to um, come at it uh, from a state level. Um, it seems to be kind of coalescing on this framework of zero trust, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, DFS 500, risk-based authentication, um, knowing that the, the state of your devices, again, it harkens back to this, this concept of zero trust. Um, but I think the challenge is, is um, trying to define that, what it looks like, how do you adopt it? Do you adopt it from a top down or is it a bottom up? Um, what are the inducements uh, that makes a business have it to be successful? Because uh, I think the challenge there is it's a it's a massive project. Um, and to keep focus on a on a project that uh, in, in a sense, the business sees it as how is it returning value? How is it helping us generate revenue? Uh, where's the numbers uh, that are you know we can show back to the the board? Um, I think that's going to be the challenge: is how do we keep our eye on the ball? It's well, curious. So, sorry, go on, Carlos. No, no. Well, I was just going to say I was going to say that you know we've been talking about compliance and check the box exercises and and points of in time and, and how that you know can not necessarily help anyone out, but I think if you think of compliance in terms of like a um, like a roadmap or a narrative or a story, right? There's building blocks and where you can start to, you know, uh, John, you don't have to bite, you know, you know, the, you don't have to eat the whole elephant type of thing, right? You can start making progress, and then you should be rewarded for showing progress. I mean, that's where sort of due diligence comes into play, right? And and that's what I think people will ultimately hopefully be looking at and thinking of these frameworks as a way to 
not just to do it, but to start on the journey so that eventually it's a living, breathing thing and a part of your organization. And if we're all doing similar things, that I think would be helpful too. I, I think the problem that we've had when it comes to security is it was relatively straightforward to get budget for IT projects that mm. you could prove that would make the business more efficient or make the business move forward. Or if it was an ERP system needed an upgrade or you needed a network be fast, or if you were moving to a new site, you needed switches, whatever it might be. Those were, you could sit down and you could see tangible benefits. Mm. When it comes to security, it was almost like smoke and mirrors because the, 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 the benefit was you weren't going to get hacked. <clears throat> so I had this conversation all the time when I sat down with in board meetings was I need X amount to move the business forward, but I need X amount to secure the business. And I would always be asked, but we've never been compromised. So why do you need to do anything? Well, that's, that's, that's not the point. Like if I don't invest, we could get compromised. And they would always say, but you, we could not, we may not. So I'd rather spend money over here than here. So the problem is, is for many, many companies, that's been, it's been, we've ticked the box, going back to the ticks box. We've done enough to be able to tick the box and get compliant. We will spend the money on what helps the business move forward. But I think in today's world that we live in, all the people that are being compromised are the ones that tick the box and didn't invest. The, and, and don't get me wrong, a lot of companies maybe don't have the money to invest or too small to invest or don't have the resources. There are many, many reasons. And now they're trying to go on a journey. And we know the journey is going to take time. But equally, a lot of people know that the longer you take to do that journey, the more chance you've got of being compromised. So they're kind of scattergunning, just going and buying a load of tools and hoping that's enough. And and I mean, we could talk about that for hours, but that's my concern is, is it needs to be a strategy. People need to go, where are the highest risks? Where are we got our weaknesses? Because you don't necessarily just deal with the highest risk. You, if the risk is you get compromised, okay, fine. What have we got that we would lose if we got compromised? It may not be for your business the biggest risk. So sit down and figure out where you should move forward as a business and secure that first. But I definitely see, and we've seen when we go to conferences, every vendor is just trying to sell you something. And if you're not smart, you'll buy stuff. It will only get implemented 10% of the, or nothing and, and it will never work. John, I can see you're desperate to say something. No, I was going to let Carlos talk. <laughs> go for it, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 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 yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that, um, you know, you make a, a really, a really, really good point. And I think the, um, you know, the notion of, of, of not getting breached. I mean, I mean, you hate to say the whole, you know, it's not, you know, if, but when, I think it's more complex and nuanced than that. But, but I think there's, you know, a notion of, again, trying to move your business, you know, forward, try to make your business better and try to reduce risk. And all of that's going to include, or it should include, you know, a, a technology and a, and a cyber strategy, you know, interwoven into the, the whole big picture of, of thinking. Right. But the, the idea that you're going to have a, you know, castle and moat sort of, um, you know, approach that is obviously, you know, of a bygone error is, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, um, an old fashioned notion, I think uh, to to some to some degree. Okay, so I'd like to pivot a little bit, and and talk about 
networking and i don't mean networking in the terms that john would talk about i mean networking as in social media linkedin face to face because actually you posted a a post recently about in-person events being really useful right so firstly we met through a joint friend we met through simon linstead um we actually met face to face we didn't get much opportunity because simon was so um important or or so many people wanted to see him that night. I stepped out and, and let other people kind of take some space, which which was fine. I, I was more than happy to do that. But I also noticed that you post a lot on social media. You post a lot on LinkedIn. You really are trying to help people. I guess, firstly, why? Why are you trying to help people? And then my second question is going to be, why do you think in-person events mean so much? Well, I think the uh, the the why why to network or, or why to um you know be active not only on linkedin but getting to know people one i think that in you know back to to sort of like where how i came into this business through my you know creative days or art days in, into business one of the things i discovered was that you know you know kind of connecting and building with people and relationships and kind of leading one thing to the other it was kind of fun, but also it kind of had a knack at doing it. And, and I think that there's, you know, just a ton of value from, um, you know, expanding, you know, who you know and learning from people and, and all those sort of things. And, you know, if, if you're in the business of doing business or, or selling things like me, I mean, there's so much noise that's, you know, you know, through people's, um, you know, emails or, or, or their DMs that the only way to really have conversations with folks is to show a certain amount of, you know, legitimacy and a certain amount of care for the industry so that hopefully you can have conversations with people you know, what we would call super top of funnel where they're, you know, may not be buyers today, but maybe they're buyers tomorrow. But more importantly, they're leaders in the industry and maybe they can introduce you to so, someone and so on and so forth. So you just kind of, you know, you know, build, build it out that way. And, and I think it's um, useful for for anyone who wants to grow their career, whether they're in sales or not. OK, so we we I'm I'm active on LinkedIn. John's active on LinkedIn, but there is power in the face-to-face event is um i mean as much as i love doing the podcast i love having people on i also like sharing a meal and 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 having a good conversation i mean john talks about when we were at black cat and i forget the name of the restaurant what's the restaurant john china poblano so you shout that out a lot so that's good I know. Uh, amazing meal in vegas in a good restaurant but for me, I talk a lot about the experience of that. We we had a great conversation. We talked about people's home lives, families. There were some not confrontational conversations, but there was stuff that was quite intriguing and, and good to talk about. We talked about technology. For me, the pandemic meant I did hour after hour after hour of agenda-based meetings where it was no real hello, how are you, how is the family, any of that chit-chat, none of that relationship building, none of that bonding. And for me, the power of face-to-face events gives you more time. It may just be that on the way to walk into the restaurant or getting a coffee or whatever it might be, or you bump into, I mean, me and John bumped into people all over Vegas and we'd stop and have a chat and have a conversation. For me, that's that's really powerful. And and like I said, that goes back to the cyber industry being really friendly. I get stopped when I'm walking across the, the show floor. John gets stopped. We stop people. We speak to people. Yeah. For me, that networking is about learning. 
I may be hitting 50 very soon, but I'm still learning every day. I learn from the people around me. I learn from social media. I learn from reading stuff. I learn from people pointing me at stuff. I learn values of morals. I learn about people. I learn about relationships. I learn about technology. And for me, those face-to-face -face events are really important. Um, John, anything you want to add? No, I think you you hit nailed it on the head. It's um, it's you know, the events that we've been to, Black Hat, RSA, so on and so forth. Um, at the end of the day, a lot of great sessions, a lot of great content, a lot of great companies that you meet with. Um, but it's the people, and and that's really where I uh, I get my energy as well as I learn a lot. Uh, because I have the opportunity in a long form format to gain their perspective on different topics, uh, cyber life, uh, those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, there was a period of time uh, in this decade that we missed out on that. And, um, you know, it's, it, uh, it's one of the reasons why we do this podcast is, is to have these conversations uh, just in a different format. But um you know, that's the value for me is, is, is meeting those people on, you know, learning their perspectives and, um, helping me, uh, you know, reframe, uh, what I'm talking about in it and, and security and networking. So, um, that's what the value I get out of it. Well, I, I think that, um, what's, what's starting to happen, which is super cool is that, you know, we, we, because of the pandemic, really it forced us into almost a fully you know digital way of communicating but now on the other side of that when we can start to get together we have the rare opportunity now to blend those two together and i think that can be extremely powerful i mean like for instance i made that post this morning you know one because i'm interested in doing what i do grow my growing my brand promoting other people connecting it all together and hopefully you know seeing where that goes that's just one example of that but if i if i look at the the podcast thing i have like listened to you know a handful of podcasts pretty regularly and i post about them so i can share that message but what I've really gotten from that is that's how I've learned how to have these conversations, right? And, and I, I'd never necessarily be able to do that if I was, you know, only confined to my physical space, right? And so I think there's, you know, there's a way to sort of blend them that is extremely powerful if you kind of know how to do that. So I've just looked at the clock and time's ticking away. So before we get onto the fun questions, I want to ask you kind of one more question. And the question is, what would be your recommendation for somebody that wanted to get into cyber today? It doesn't matter what age they are, what background yeah. they've come from, because we've talked about those things don't matter. In fact, it's really good to have people from different backgrounds. But if there was one piece of advice you could offer, what would it be? I, I'd say that um, you know, find a way to do exactly what we just spoke about, which is networking, right? And so whether it's at the local events, which I think are pretty pretty powerful still, of course, but um, but don't hesitate to jump on LinkedIn. That seems to be where you know the professional uh, folks are, and don't be afraid to share your opinions. Don't be afraid to start putting yourself out there because where are wherever you are in your journey, there's always someone that's you know a couple steps behind you that you can help, and then there's obviously people ahead of you that you can start to connect with, and will respect that you're putting yourself out there. So just just do that. I think that's really good advice. Okay, so one kind of fun question from me, and I'll, I'm going to ask you about food. Um, 
it's going to be food related like to an experience because yeah. i always used to ask what was the best meal you ever had but for yeah. me as i've said before a lot of the food experience i've had have not necessarily been about the food but have been about the company and the conversation of so course. what's been your best food experience and why the best food experience i'll tell you about a um uh food experience that I just remembered as you are telling me that one, I don't have a lot of boundaries in terms of what I will eat, won't eat. So I'm pretty open, open-minded about that. And, uh, and so, um, my, my wife is, is Jamaican. And so we, you know, make some Jamaican food, uh, you know, uh, every, every so often, and she'll bring things, you know, to, to the, um, uh, uh, the table that, you know, that most people wouldn't have, or I hadn't had. And then, so let's, let's put a pin in that. And then we have a friend uh, that has a sustainable farm near here in, in Tampa. And uh, when it came to uh, turkey time, we always get an organic turkey. And he had, <laughs> he had these big turkey legs, right? Like the feet, right? And so we got like five or six of these frozen uh, turkey feet and brought them home. And we just made the most incredible soup. And I, I, it, it, one, it was delicious and, and just incredible. And it just seemed like something that I don't know that a whole lot of people have had, you know, turkey, turkey, you know, foot soup. And I, and I'm just, um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought of that as you, <laughs> when you asked, that's what came to mind. Well, you also mentioned when we we're in the green room that you like pineapple on pizza. So I was a little bit nervous to ask you. He almost, cu- food, he almost but... cut me out of this whole thing. I don't know if we almost didn't have this thing. I remember. Well, no, I didn't want because you'd already said it off off recording. I didn't really want to ask you again because every look at John smile, look at the smile on his face. He's super happy that you like pineapple on pizza, uh, dude, and I think I go. actually think he sends people Amazon vouchers in advance to get them to say it. Um, but anyway, John, you ask your phone question. Yeah, so uh, Tampa, it's a it's a place I enjoy visiting. Um, Restaurants, uh, any any recommendations for, you know, an amazing meal that's kind of unique uh, within the Tampa area? Within the within the Tampa area, you know, there's a, um, you know, we, we really, uh, you know, like this, uh, this area near where, where we live uh, called uh, Safety Harbor. And so it's on mm. the Pinellas County side, so, you know, down there in the uh, you know, there's a, a little, a little steakhouse there called Water Oak and it's not super pretentious, but the food is, is really good. And, you know, we just always have just an incredible, uh, incredible experience there. So that's, uh, that's what comes to mind. Cause that's where we are more, more, most recently, it's a little bit more than a steakhouse. It's a little different, but, but more importantly, I think as important as anything it's in a cool little part of town that we like to support and we like to go to. So I think that probably adds to it as well. Is there, um, are there boats right next to that area? Yeah. That, okay. I think I ate there at the last time I was there. So very good meal. So good recommendation. Yeah. And then right next door to that, there's this uh, place called the Tiki Tavern, which is kind of our, uh, our, the bar that we like. And so that's kind of, we kind of, you know, go back and forth. I missed out on the tiki. That would have been amazing. Next time you're there, there you go, Tiki Tavern. No, we're going to yeah. connect. You guys, let me know when you're in town. It's it's uh, we, we, we like it here, and uh, would would be fun to hang out. To to be honest, it's been great having you on. Great insights as always. Um, the time flew past, but it's been it's been exceptional. Some real good insights into compliance and and kind of the direction it's going to go. I'd love to have you back on in six months to talk about what's changed and how the world's changed. Um, but I'd really like to thank you. It's been great. 
I've just had a blast, guys. It's been so much fun getting to know you better and talking about the, you know this topic that we're passionate about. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. And also connect with the SSC Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge.